We are continuing on in the book of Titus. Uh, We didn't quite get through everything we were uh, planning to get through last time, so we're uh, doing... Uh, again, going to be in the, in the same passage. So this is always remember to never forget where you came from, part two. And last week we talked about uh, how important this idea of remembering is throughout the scriptures. It's one of the commands that uh, you find most interesting, or I find most interesting as I read through the scriptures. If we fail... To remember, we're in trouble. If we fail to remember, we don't know where we are or why we're here. And it's interesting, your identity is, is wrapped up in what you remember. I was talking with some parents the other day, and they, they said, you know, it's kind of amazing uh, what your parents, what your kids remember and what they forget. So there's some things we worked really hard and we'd put all this effort in and, uh, you know, and try to make a big deal of it. And then the kids completely forgot about it. We told them and they said, I don't remember that. And then they said, and we made one little mistake and they bring it up all the time. (laughs) Why? Because people have selective memories. By the way, there, there are certain things that you remind yourself of is what you're going to remember. Uh, the, the things we call to mind over and, and over again are the things that impress themselves upon us. And by the way, the, your perception of your story can, can change. I, I was talking uh, with, with my dad one time, and uh, he was you know, sharing some about his childhood, and he said you know, he, he, his perception of who he was and where he came from changed drastically. He said, because growing up, his dad was in business and did quite well for himself. So what was his identity? He says, well, I come from successful people. A successful businessman who makes good decisions, wise investments. Well, my grandfather sold that business. And started a second business. He was in the uh, the steel world. He, he sold one steel business and, and then started another. The success he had with the first business didn't follow in the second. All, all of a sudden, they had they started downgrading houses, selling the place in Florida. And my dad says that that kind of rocked his identity because now what's his background? Bad business decisions, failed business ventures, issues like that. And he said it, it, it transformed his identity. I think for, for those of us who, who grow up with sports as a large part of our childhood, you, there, there's a certain point when, when you start to realize, hey, what, what worked in high school and was successful there isn't going to make it later on. There, there's at some point where, where you have to put the pads up. You, you have to put the cleats away. And you realize, I, I, I might have thought I was an athlete, but now once you reach this level, I'm not really. How do we view ourselves? How you view yourself uh, determines how you see yourself. How you see yourself determines how you treat others. And one of the things this passage is getting at is that we need to have a proper understanding of who God is and what He has done for us 
in order that we might know who we are and how we ought to act. And this is one of the things that Paul is emphasizing and reminding Titus of. So look with me, if you would, Titus chapter 2. We're just going to look at the last verse in chapter 2, verse 15. And then we're going to go through Titus 3, chapter 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear what your word has to say us. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see what your word has to show us. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to the work of your Holy Spirit within us. Amen. Last time, as we looked at this passage, we uh, talked about the the importance of being reminded, and and Paul exhorts Timothy to remind the believers of certain things. Uh, And the list uh, we got into, we didn't quite make it all the way through, but we said there's a list of about six items. Uh, Different commentators take it different ways. Uh, And we said it's kind of interesting, the things that they came up with. Some of the things aren't things that if I said, hey, I, I want you to make a list of six things that you, you ought to remind the church of, uh, I don't know how many of these I would get on that list. The list is, number one, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And we say that that submission is not necessarily due to the righteousness or the good moral standing of those authorities. It's actually demonstrating your character that you are submissive to those rulers, even if their character was poor. And we looked at a little bit at Paul as an example of that. Paul is submissive to rulers and authorities. How many times, though, is he persecuted when he goes into cities? Magistrates, judges, jailers, all these people persecute him and oppose him. The first of the six items is to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Why? Because God has set them over us. Second, to be obedient. Uh, Many commentators take this uh, as connected to rulers and authorities, but it could also be that that's a part of it, but also in general, to be obedient people. Thirdly, to be ready for every good work. We we, uh, spoke about how, in in a certain way, Christians are are to be like uh, spiritual Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts' motto is always be prepared. One of the things God wants is people who are always preparing themselves to do good. And uh, it's kind of sad to think that there are opportunities for good that we are missing because we are not properly preparing ourselves for them. Fourthly, He said to speak evil of no one. 
And, and this is kind of uh, where we uh, left off last week, and, and uh, we didn't quite get into the fifth and sixth item. The fifth item is to avoid quarreling and be gentle. And the sixth item is to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, this idea of avoiding quarreling and, and being gentle, it's kind of hard to nail down exactly. But it's real easy to notice when you come in contact with the opposite of it. Uh, it it's always easy to notice somebody who is a gruff and quarrelsome person. Uh, Calvin states uh, that the ill-tempered carry with them a fire to kindle strife. I thought that's a gr- great analogy. You know, it's, it's like saying they're looking for a fight. They're looking for something to argue about. They're looking for somebody to engage in a combative manner. We're to be the opposite of that. We're to be gracious, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. Now, as he's getting into these things, he's, he's beginning to talk about characteristics that ought to distinguish us from the people that are around us. Uh, The world is a place filled with quarreling and strife. We're to be lights in the midst of that. We're to be gentle. Um, My life is completely centered around twins, so I apologize for the overabundance of twin uh, stories that are going to enter into the uh, sermons, but I don't have much of a life outside of that, so I don't have much else to draw upon. Uh, but but when, I, when I think about being gentle, uh, I think about those twins i got to carry around. Well, one of the things when you're, when you're dealing with babies, you want to make sure you don't cause any damage to them. Now, the later it gets and the longer you've been up and the louder they're getting the more and more you start to be tempted not to be gentle with them. What do you you have to do? You've got to remind yourself. These are delicate things. These are precious things. One of the things that it shows when you handle other people without quarreling and being gentle, what does it show? It shows that you value those people. That you have a concern for them. That you have a sense of respect for their well-being. Sixthly, it says to show perfect courtesy towards all people. As we look at the list, um, it's interesting that he ends it with towards all people. That could be referring to the last element. It could be referring to a, a group of them at the end. But one of the things that's emphasized here is that we're not to be selective in the demonstration of these virtues. As he lists out these six virtues, it's, uh, you know, we, you don't need to be uh, gentle just towards believers. You don't need to be gentle just towards people who are nice to you. You don't need to be uh, courteous only to people who are courteous to you. He says these are principles that we apply without exception to other people. Why do we do it? Again, it's not because of their virtue. It's not because of their goodness. It's not because of their kindness to us. But it's in order to demonstrate the character of God towards them. 
Now, this becomes an extremely hard list just with that towards all people added on towards the end, doesn't it? God is calling us to be people who are nice and kind and gentle towards everyone. They're calling us to look for good works with whoever we encounter or deal with. Um, that makes it a lot harder. You know, if, if it was only people who are nice to us that we had to be gentle and kind toward, that'd be a lot easier. But what about the guy that cuts you off on 240? What about the person at work who's been uh, lying about you? What about the friend who betrayed you? What about all the people who have wronged you? How do you respond to that? Are we responding in in kindness, gentleness? Are we submissive even when people abuse that? Now, with a command like that, the the response of most people is going to be, why? And how? Why and how can I engage in in that type of loving behavior to people who are horribly unloving to me? Paul says, verse 34, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Uh, it's interesting, the connection between verse 2 and verse 3. As he lists out all these these characteristics and and says that we're to apply these to all people, uh, he reminds us of who we were. Remember, the, the title of the message is Always Remember to Never Forget Where You Came From. I'm glad Daryl shared his testimony. It's good to remember where you were before Christ, what you were like before He entered into your life. Paul here is reminding them of their previous condition. What you've been rescued out of motivates godly living. Because what are you rescued out of? You're, You're rescued out of sin. You're rescued out of wickedness. Part of God's redemptive work in us is to separate us from sin, not only the punishment of sin, but the presence of sin and the power of sin. He begins to work in us. It also has another element as a part of it. It also provides a motivation to treat others with patience and gentleness who are still engaged in our former way of life. Remember I said it's hard to treat people well who are are treating you poorly. One of the things Paul is reminding people of, look, when you encounter people who are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing their days in malice and envy, hating others and hating one another, that's the lifestyle you were once a part of. Don't let them drag you back into it. Because you were wicked in in those days and and times, and God treated you kindly, God extended His mercy to you, in the same way as we look out towards others, 
We're to extend the same grace, the same love as God has. We're to be gracious to the wicked because we were the wicked. And by the way, severity didn't draw you out of your sin. Law didn't draw you out of your sin. But rather, the grace of God is what has drawn you out of that wicked lifestyle. We are severe against sin, but it is always accompanied by compassion. We are severe against sin, but we are always loving towards sinners. We must show others the attitude God has shown to us in our sin. Uh, one of the things that's also interesting to think about is, is Paul applies this to his own life. You, you, you ever read passages and Paul talks about, I was the worst of sinners? I don't think he's being hyperbolic when he's talking about those things. I think he is honestly looking at the work of Christ and his condition before that and saying, hey, I was awful. You look at his track record in the, in, in the book of Acts before his conversion, you think, hey, he might have a good point. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned to death for telling the truth about Jesus and the Jews' response to him. Paul was one of the people that everyone threw their coats down at the feet of when they went out to stone Stephen. He was a part of the participants who killed the first Christian martyr. He was zealous in his persecution of the church. They persecuted the church in Jerusalem. And guess what? People fled and spread. And when it fled and spread, do you know what Paul said? He said, I'm going to chase them down. I'm going to track them down. I'm going to hunt them down. I'm going to find them. I don't think Paul ever forgot the condition he was in before Christ got a hold of him. Paul never forgets the sinful condition. This is uh, from a commentary I read. Paul never forgets the sinful condition from which he and his converts had been salvaged. And he reminded it of them he reminded them of it once more. Instead of the gracious, Christ-like people he was encouraging them to be, they were once just the opposite, being foolish instead of sensible disobedient instead of submissive, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, instead of self-disciplined and ready for every good work. Did you you notice that? How this uh, list of vices uh, kind of contrasts the other lists we've had? We we have a list up in uh, verse 2, sorry, chapter 2, verse 12, That the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then the list we just looked at as well, it, it seems like he's here emphasizing the opposite traits. We were once foolish. All the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. All the things that we lean on and rely upon to view ourselves as as wise and knowledgeable and clever in light of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of His salvation is foolishness. 
We were disobedient. We were foolish in that we did not know God nor His ways. We were foolish in that we did not submit to Him or love Him. We were disobedient, disregarding both God and His commandments. Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. By the way, if, if you look at this list, it's easy to see the world in it, isn't it? In its current condition. Especially that line, I think, describes our, our culture so well. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. What is the world living for? Pleasure. Oh, we have a, a society that is entirely revolving around the pleasure of the individual. It's almost considered a right that I can determine who I am and determine how I find pleasure and pursue it. Since I, I hope that mindset doesn't infect the church that we are just pleasure seekers who are looking in different places for. He says, passing our days in malice and envy. Uh, these, again, are kind of combative. I think they're, they're the opposite of being gentle. Malice is... Uh, I just keep thinking of that analogy that Calvin gives. It's uh, carrying around a... a, a uh, uh, carrying around a flame and, and looking to start fires. Are, are they opposed to others? In envy. Looking at others and not being thankful. Oh, I'm so glad they have that. No, no what is it? Why do they get it and I don't? That's envy. Again, all these are great marketing strategies. Presenting your passions and pleasures, presenting what somebody else has that you don't. I mean, if you got rid of that, there would be no commercials left on television. <coughs> Hated by others and hating one another. There, there is a, a sense in which the world does not know love. And it's very hard to expect a world that does not know and has not experienced love to act righteously and virtuously. They have not yet seen, they have not yet understand, understood, they have not yet experienced the full love of God. The saints, we were in that condition before we came to know Christ. But the point at which everything changes is the point at which we encounter Christ. You, you, you think, what's the difference between them and us? What's the difference between what we were and what we are? It's encountering Jesus. It's encountering something that would draw us away from our foolishness, our disobedience, our wicked passions, the malice and envy that controlled us, and the hateful attitude we had towards all people. We've been salvaged and saved. And as a result of that, we've been called into a new identity. Those who have been saved by Christ have been called to imitate Christ. Those who have received God's love have been called to be conduits of God's love. 
Those who have been brought from the darkness into the light have been called to be lights. Uh, this, these, these things he presents, by the way, th- this list of things we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be submissive to rulers. We're supposed to be obedient. We're supposed to be ready for every good work. We're supposed to speak evil no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Um, one of the things I want you to know, and we'll, and we'll emphasize this as we get in further to chapter 3, I can't help but bring stuff forward, is, is that doing all these things doesn't earn us a better spot with God. That's not what gives us the identity. But by the way, if you understand the process that God goes through in order to bring us into His family and to make us His children, it's very important to get the order right. What does God do? God sees us when we're in that wicked and evil state. And what does He do? He sends His Son to die for us to bring us into a relationship with Him, to declare us righteous and holy, to begin by working through His Holy Spirit to remove the power that sin has over our lives and to give us a promised destination where we will be made like Christ and the presence of sin will be finally removed. But, but notice the order. God sees us in our wicked estate and gives to us a new identity, calls us children of God. And as He calls us into that new identity, He begins equipping us for a new work. That is the way in which Christianity and the grace of God flows. Now, legalism flows the opposite way. It tries to push things upstream. It says, okay, I'm going to do these particular activities. I'm going to do these righteous works. I'm going to do these good things. And when I do those good things, then I'm going to be a good person. And once I'm a good and a righteous person, guess what? God's going to have to accept me for who I am and what I've done. And that's starting with, with what we do and trying to become somebody so that God will see us and accept us. That's the wrong direction, saints. And water can no more flow up a, a waterfall than we can work our way into God's good graces. We do these activities. These activities do not benefit God. Guess what? If I'm submissive to rulers of authorities, if I'm obedient, if I speak uh, good of everyone, if I'm ready for every good work, if I avoid quarreling, if I'm gentle, if I show perfect courtesy towards all people, do you know what God benefits? Nothing. He's not any more God. He's not any more powerful. He's not any more holy. He's not any more righteous. He's not any more just if I do all those things. Do you know who it benefits when I do those activities? It benefits me, and it benefits my neighbor. It benefits me because I start becoming who I've been called to be. I start living in the truth that God has declared. I start enjoying the peace that He has extended to me. And it benefits my neighbor. If I'm not a jerk, it helps my neighbors out. 
It encourages that. In fact, just think of that, this. Uh, we, we, we live in a great neighborhood. We've got real friendly neighbors. And I just think, uh, you know, especially this number three, be ready for good, every good work. There's a, a, a gentleman who lives diagonally across from me. He goes by Red. And uh, Red's retired from the, from the city government. And I have had to bring my trash back from the curb maybe once in the three years we've lived in that house. Do you know why? Because Red goes around and, and pulls people's trash back once the, once the trash man's come. I think he was out of, out of town one time, so I had to do it myself. It was really rough. <laughs> But, but what's he doing? He, and, and he does stuff like this all the time. There'll be a branch that'll fall and it'll, it'll go over the sidewalk. About 10 minutes later, he's out there with a saw. What's he doing? He's looking for good works to do. Now, that's not going to get him any favor with God, but hey, that gets a lot of favor for me. I think, what a great neighbor. What a great guy. I'm so glad he's in the neighborhood. I'm just so glad he's a part of this. I benefit from his good works. In the same way, we who have benefited from God's good to us are to be extensions of that good by sharing it with other people. doesn't get us any better with God, but it shows the world what kind of God we serve. Saints, do we recognize where we've come from? Do we recognize the sin, the misery, the wickedness, the foolishness, the evil in which we once dwelt? And do we recognize how good and gracious and great and majestic is the God who has called us out of it? If we do, it ought to change the way we live our lives. It'll help you become who God has called you to be. And it will benefit the world around you who doesn't know the goodness and grace of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Always remember to never forget where you came from. If you forget where you came from, you'll forget who took you out of it. If you forget who took you out of it, you'll forget what He's done for you. We must always remind ourselves of the sin and the wickedness that he has called us out of. Next week, we have a bit more cheerful subject to address. Because we just got to verse 3, which talks about the sin we once lived in. And in verse 4 is a but that describes what we have been brought into. I hope to see you then as we look at the goodness and loving kindness of God as it appears in our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until then, honor Him by serving Him and doing good to those around you. Receive now the benediction. Grace be with you all. Amen.